A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 172 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman, and with me like a droid in an X-Wing, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Don't think about it too hard, folks, because a droid stuck in an X-Wing is kind of like a light bulb stuck in a guy in the emergency room. There's a joke with that, but I'll have to save that for the outtakes, I'm sure. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long, long time in a galaxy far, far away, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again to your emails and feedback. Once more, you Beyonders are the star. Now consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure Beyond the Films. That's right, and I'm betting this is probably episode two out of, I'm guessing at this point, four. You know, just to give you a sense of how much feedback we have here. So about a month of you all taking center stage. We start this time with actually a relatively recent one coming in from David, David Motters, who says, Nathan and Mark, just finished your two and a half hour podcast and I enjoyed all of it. I have a crap ton, it's a technical term from Nathan, to say to you guys. First... Nathan, I was one of the people looking forward to meeting Mark at this celebration. Hopefully I can meet you at a celebration, hopefully Orlando 2017, or at a con in the future. As Mark said in the podcast, there's a lot of admiration for the work you two put into Star Wars Beyond the Films and Rebels Roundtable. Don't stop. Second, you guys were talking about the crazy long lines at celebration. Mark, you said some people were saying this was the best celebration ever, and you questioned that. Well, you're right. There were way too many people at this celebration. I heard 60,000 somewhere, but don't quote me on that. I was at Celebration 6 in Orlando, and I believe they said there were 35,000 to 40,000. The lines were too long there, and especially at this celebration. Like you said, Mark, the lines to the panels were full, the lines for Battlefront were long, the lines for the Battle Pods were long, and the entire show floor was full. It was hard to move around. This is a hard situation because it's cool to have tons of Star Wars fans at Celebration. At the same time, there can be too many. And then you have people crowding past people with kids, just like you said. 
The main stage slash celebration stage at the Orange County Convention Center held about 2,000. The main stage slash celebration stage slash arena at the Anaheim Convention Center held about 4,000. It was hard to get into the big panels at Celebration 6. I'd be concerned about that if Celebration returns to Orlando in 2017. Of course, I would love for it to return to Orlando, but Lucasfilm and Reed Pop need to decide on a reasonable number or the problems you described, Mark, will continue to happen. Overall, the best part was being with friends and making friends in the lines. Thanks for not only this podcast, but for all the ones to come. David Motters. P.S. Mark. How do I get a Star Wars Report t-shirt? I need to represent at Star Wars Weekends. How much and where would I send the check? Actually, I wouldn't mind ordering three. One for each of my friends that you met at the podcasters meetup. Well, as for the t-shirts, uh, we are actually working on getting better shirts. Uh, the ones that I got are kind of a screen. They're not a screen print, but more like an iron on. Uh, they're not an actual iron on. They're, they were professionally done, but you know, they're, they're not the best quality. They're not the most that I'm proud of. I love wearing my shirt. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong in that regard, but I got to be very careful with them as I'm washing them because of how they were made. And to get the screen print, I have to get at least 20 plus, but uh, we are working on some options there and we're hoping to make them available so people can, uh, you know, go to a website and kind of drop ship and get their things ordered and stuff. So I'm not having to buy it and then ship it to everybody or, you know, meet up with them, uh, at celebration. Although it was a really cool opportunity. I, I did hand out all those shirts at the meetup and stuff. Uh, and, and that's where I was able to meet you. It was great meeting you. And, and, and I loved, uh, you know, hearing your enthusiasm and you sharing what we're doing with your friends and stuff. And, you know, it, that I think was one of the coolest opportunities too, was by handing out the shirts. I was there for quite a while. So I got to bump into a lot of people, uh, and, and a lot of chatting and stuff. Um, you know, in fact, uh, cloud city casino, uh, we just launched them on the second airborne and a lot of the logistics and stuff. We nailed out, uh, me and Michael Morris there at, at the meetup. Uh, you know, he came down later that night and we were there almost till midnight. I think, you know, we were just shooting and uh, shooting the proverbial Sith. And then uh, when that was over, I walked out and bam, there's, uh, there's Henry Gilroy and there's Pablo Hidalgo sitting at a, at a uh, stop sign waiting to cross the street. So I ended up chatting with them about camping and other stuff. Uh, so that was really cool, you know, just to get to do that stuff. But yeah, uh, the, the question I had, and I, and I hope I was clear on that was, you know, it was the lines and stuff that worried me when, when someone had mentioned it was the best celebration ever, because, you know, beyond that, I'd have to agree. It was a lot of fun, but I had no other celebrations to compare it to. And, and I was always under the impression that Orlando was a much bigger facility. Uh, so, so, you know, I was a little concerned in that regard when, when that one individual was like, Oh, the lines here are awesome. And I was just like, Oh, everyone else I'm talking about is telling me how really bad the lines are. And so, you know, I know from what I experienced there, I was really not enjoying that aspect, but beyond that, I loved it. It was the best celebration I had ever been to. Of course, it's the only one, but it was so epic. Even though there was lines, you know, the, the hardest thing I had was that I missed so much and i missed a lot of things uh the, the star wars battle pods especially i wanted to do that but those lines were insane and it, it came down to you know picking and choosing what you wanted to do you know yeah i could have done that battle pods but i would have missed a lot of other opportunities or panels that i wanted to do just to wait in those lines so you really had to determine you know are we going to stand in these lines for an hour plus uh or are we going to try to make it into these panels and also wait in line for an hour plus or an hour and a half or three hours. 
Uh, but that's where, where, and you said it too, the lines were the best place to meet new individuals and stuff. I, I met a lot of people just standing around waiting and eventually, you know, we went from reading our own books and stuff and talking to, you know, the people in our groups to talking to the people next to us to, you know, next thing you know, those four groups of people in the section of lines as they're zigzagging and stuff, we're all just chatting in this big ball of, of talk about this exciting thing or that exciting thing or why legends should continue or why they think it shouldn't or you know, there, there are sometimes you get in certain groups uh, and there'd be a lot of people that, that they just really hated the, the Legends fans. And they're like, oh, just get over it, you know, and then you get in other groups where, you know, you're you, you, you feel like when you were in your core group because everyone's opinions kind of lined up a lot, you know, and sometimes you find yourself being quiet because you're just like, oh, I don't want to be the kooky guy that wants Legends to continue while they all wanted to just to die. <laughs> So, but it it was fun though. I mean, even though when I was in those situations, it wasn't like I felt like the odd man out. Uh, you know, there was still plenty to talk about, and that was the coolest thing was the the conversations and the and the people and the networking that was going along. You know, I I didn't want to bring any of my uh, you know, I didn't want to do any business cards or anything like that. I wasn't planning on doing it. And then to get my media pass, it said I needed one. So last minute, I went down to Staples and made up you know some, and for fifteen bucks got some. So handing those out like. I didn't know what the protocol was and stuff. So I'm hanging out with the ion cannon guys and you know, they're lining up interviews and stuff and they're introducing me. And so I'm like handing out my card, like, you know, I'm like, is this the right time? I'm asking one of the hosts. And they're like, you know, I don't, I can't tell you what to do. You know, you do what you want. And I'm just like, I'm like, I feel so rude handing out my card to these brave. I want to come on my show. You know, <laughs> it was, it was a definite unique experience. And, Again, meeting up with you and, and the other people there at the meetup, uh, that's something that if I ever go back, I'm definitely going to take time to do again. I'll probably uh, do some other podcast meetups and stuff for some other shows, do the 501st thing. You know, I was kind of 89 bucks seemed like a little excessive, but now 89 bucks to meet that many people and have those many photo ops and stuff. Whew, that's that's nothing, man. That's like an ante to play a hand of poker. Yeah, I definitely look forward to finally getting to go to a celebration, but it's mainly because of the camaraderie angles. I think, Mark, you were talking about how a lot of the stuff you were finding out about the news being revealed at Celebration, you were finding out online, like through Facebook and mm -hmm. such, because it's just yeah. not possible to be everywhere at once. I would hope that they would find a venue that would allow, A, you know, just fitting more people into each individual thing. But if not that, then more individual things to go on at once, like more individual spaces. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for how you could have a bunch of people trying to cram into five things. Or you could have 10 or 15 things, and granted, they may not be the things that everybody is really most excited to get into, but at least it gives people a place to go and a place to be during those times and keeps people from all overloading the convention floor, making it hard to move around. That's something that any convention has to deal with as it grows. Uh, certainly something Con Carolina's dealt with, the one that I used to go to all the time, and they eventually actually jumped from one venue to another just because they needed a lot more space. So uh, we'll see. What happens with Celebration is I imagine it's going to be booming in years to come because of the new films and whatnot. Uh, it's going to be freaking crazy. But I'd love a chance to meet up with people. Every time I've gone to a convention and run into other people, I've tried to do some recordings. So it'd be mm -hmm. interesting to have you know a sit down, kind of like what we did years ago where we sat down and did a recording. I don't even know if it ever got released. I think it did. Uh, through Jim Perry, but a, rec a live recording of us sitting around playing Star Wars Trivial Pursuit and BSing as we went through. See, the live recording, that was an angle I was thinking about because I was like, I don't want to sit down in these lines. And then I was thinking about it afterwards. I'm like, dude, I should have went to these. And, and then me and Riley could have been recording episodes. And I was thinking about, you know, I, I would have totally 
done a beyond the films episode there and and been on the panel and applied it had you been going uh you know i knew riley wasn't even sure he was gonna make it so we didn't even bother uh but i really thought it would have been fun um and so so to done that and had that angle to have done the recording and stuff and being able to record things from other episodes and stuff you know star wars report had episodes from five and six where they did that uh, like Steve Lawson came on on six where he did the whole seven, eight, nine mic drop and walk off, which was just become a classic running joke on the show. Uh, but, you know, some of the most fun moments are the ones that are captured from those things. And that would be just awesome to do. And and I, I definitely thought about that as things were going on. I didn't bring my Jedi robe thinking, you know, I, I was think I was so worried about getting my stuff there and getting it back. And, and having my stuff that I didn't bring a lot of stuff that I would have wanted to have brought, you know, I, I didn't want to take my robe because I was afraid somebody might steal it on the way, you know? And, and so I didn't take that, but then it was like, Oh, well you could have gone into the cantina. You could have done this. They were taking photos of people in the costumes and stuff. Like I, I made my son, this really cool, uh, you know, star Wars celebration logo, uh, shirt for his birthday, where instead of saying 2015 Anaheim star Wars celebration, it says it's my birthday. Enjoy the celebration. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, yeah, people take a picture. Oh, no, people just thought for the most part it was just a regular celebration logo shirt. And so, like, no one ever noticed that. They were all noticing all the costumes and stuff. So there was those moments and stuff. Uh, one of the venue aspects, though, you know, that Nathan had mentioned, uh, I think it would be cool since I did see a lot of things on my phone, like Rogue One, the the Force Awakens trailer and things of that nature, you know, if they had TVs set up. Uh, you know, Red Robin, Sizzler, Abby's restaurants, they all have TVs playing sports casts and stuff. Why can't we have some TVs outside in these hallways playing some of the panels, repeating them throughout the day, those kind of things? Because there were a lot of things that I wanted to do that were literally scheduled at the same time. So there were those angles that sucked. Uh, there were there were things that I would have liked to do that were happening at things that I had planned to do. Uh, you know, I didn't get to do the Roxy, the Rancor, because when that happened, it was like, OK, we got to get in line for this other panel right now or, or we're not going to do it. We can't wait in that line. We'll do it on Sunday. And then when Sunday came, it was like we did as many as we could. And then me and Riley met up to do our little uh, video that we did and stuff. Uh, and so I just I ran out of time. I just constantly was just running out of time. And I was OK with that. You know, I just I accepted it for what it was. And there was just so much cool stuff going on that even though it was a bummer because I was missing out on things, there was just so much stuff that it, it, it just it didn't really phase you that much. It was like, oh, OK, you just it, it was an OCD person or, or, you know, a person that's got attention deficit uh, just. Their heaven. It's all squirrel, all squirrel, all squirrel, all squirrel. They didn't even know that they were missing out on other things. It was like the fishbowl aspect. You know, you're just swimming around in this vast ocean that's only a teacup. Number one, I do hope that the next time that they hold one in Anaheim that they do do some fumigating and such because it seems like there were a lot of squirrels. And two, how do you know about the televisions in Tim Drake's place? Get it? Red Robin? DC comic? Yeah, screw oh. it. That's, that's a joke nobody's going to get because everybody's watching Marvel stuff now except the TV shows on DC. Uh, another one here comes in, actually passed along from Riley. It came to the Star Wars Report but is actually meant for us and then passed along to us uh, from Stan Kiefer. Stan says, Hi guys of Star Wars Beyond the Films. I thought I'd send this email since I finally discovered the podcast. A little about me. I was there in 77 when the Galaxy Far, Far Away first showed up. I was seven at the drive-in looking up at a 200-foot screen when a blockade runner being fired upon by a massive Star Destroyer flew in on the screen, and that was it for me. By the end of the movie, I swore I would grow up and be a Jedi. Now I'm 45 and wonder sometimes where that magic and awe that we had as a child went. 
Of course, reality sets in with a boot to the butt when you grow up. I tried to reclaim a little bit of the magic with the updated editions in the 90s and enjoyed A New Hope until the Han Solo Greedo scene, and I thought, what the hell? I saw the rest of the trilogy when it came out, but felt a little sour about that scene and Lucas's sorry, lame excuse. But fine, his work, etc. Then the episodes 1, 2, and 3 came out. And that was it. What is this midichlorian garbage? I rewatched the originals and Yoda and Obi-Wan didn't say anything. The Force was a living energy that surrounds everything. It was in the trees, etc. You're left believing everyone had a chance to be a Jedi, just some people were more sensitive to the Force. Well, I walked away from Star Wars and reminded myself I was a kid when it first showed up and that this was just the scientific way to explain everything since spirituality and faith is supposed to be for idiots. At least, that was my perspective. Well, years went by, and I work in a psychiatric hospital and have been witness to and met people who have done some of the most horrible, evil things done to each other, and their victims have in return done similar things. I'm a man of faith, and I draw strength from that, but I needed something to connect me to a little bit of that joy and wonder I felt as a child, and there was Star Wars. Episode 7 was coming out here this year, so I started looking around and found you guys and the EU. Now, because I've leapt around your different shows, I've already bought all the Legacy of the Force books. The Darkness Trilogy, I'm sorry, Stan. And I have to say, Jaina Solo, wow, kills her own twin and appears to be a powerhouse sword of the Jedi. And Ben Skywalker, what must he be like? The son of Luke and Mara Jade, who was one of the Emperor's hands? I look forward to exploring these books and trade paperbacks. I've already also bought all the Star Wars Legacy books with Cade Skywalker. Also, I blame you guys for that. So thank you. I know Disney is creating a whole new canon, but for now, I can enjoy these books and characters that are new to me and hope the EU survives and the new Episode 7 is what Episode 4 was. Again, thanks and keep the EU alive and the show is coming. Stan. Well, Stan, a couple things. You know, seeing Episode 4 at the age of 7, I mean, how cool must that have been? Uh, that awe that you talk about, I, I will say it's definitely at events like Star Wars Celebration. Um, you know, and then talking about the changes Lucas has made, uh, especially the Han shot first one. I know that's the one that really gets to me. And I know that that's a, a topic in fandom that you just say one or the other uh, and you're pretty much going to get a, a, a thread that's just rolling with people's opinions on it. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it makes it hard to be critical of Lucas as a fan who witnessed the original trilogy as it happened uh, and not be labeled by the newer fans as a Lucas hater. I mean, I know, you know, I'll be critical, especially of that scene and, and stuff. And sometimes I got to read, defend the fact that, you know, yeah, I love everything Lucas has created and I get it's his right. Uh, but, you know, there's sometimes where I feel like, yeah, that fundamentally changed Han. Uh, you know, Han was a, a you know just blast you out your seat guy who yeah i bet you i mean he took joy in that moment that that sneaking up on him i mean the whole pulling his blaster out and stuff everything he did was crafty and i mean you could not turn your back on han solo and when han solo flew away you didn't think he was coming back why because he was a a, a shady individual he didn't have a heart of gold but now we see he's one of those that waits till he gets shot at types. You know, he's the good guy, a white hat wearer straight up from the beginning. So when he rides off, you knew he was coming back. Why? Because Han's got a heart of gold, which we knew already. It wasn't at that moment when he turned around and came back. I mean, that was supposed to be the pinnacle moment where we knew Han was a good guy, not because he waited to shoot somebody that he wasn't a cold-blooded murderer. Cold-blooded, cold-blooded murdering Han was a much more 
interesting Han for me. And so I, I get that, you know, I, I'm there with you. Uh, and, and I, I don't know. There's so many different things where I have to ask, you know, if you haven't been to a celebration, uh, you know, cause you, you talk about that, awe, that feeling of, of it with, as a kid and getting that back, I truly say, you know, you gotta go to one because that's where you're going to get that feeling. You know, uh, you mentioned with Lucas bringing in the prequels and bringing in metachlorines and stuff uh, and, and the sense that everyone had the ability to gain the force. I, I, too, I remember it gave me a similar stance when I read that because it was really hard to to determine exactly what he meant. There was this whole argument that came up online about whether or not uh, Anakin as Vader lost metachlorines because of that count you know what what was the count how did the count add up you know they took the count based off of one cell okay so anakin's got the highest amount based off of one cell well he's got a bunch of cells in his body so overall he must have the most right so if anakin gets his arms cut off and his legs cut off he's losing all those cells that have those there so he should in theory be less of a force user now yeah, there were so many angles about that that by adding the metachlorines that really just, you know, made me stop, shake my head, scratch my my temple, and go, wait, what? Uh, and then Lucas's responses from there moving forward and stuff, and then adding, you know, Mortis and stuff. It was it was like there was no exit strategy in sight, and he was just making things up as he went, and you just start to really have that sense of, well, what is he doing? Like, yeah, he got really lucky with, you know, changing Luke and Leia from being a potential love interest to brother and sister and then finding out that Vader was their father and stuff. But the things that he's making on a fly don't always line up. And so, yeah, it, it makes someone that watched those films when they happen a, more critical of the, the overall process. So I get that aspect as well, you know, and so I, I hope you don't think I'm labeling you a hater because I don't think you are. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from because I find myself in that same camp where I'm scratching my head going, why did you do that, George? Uh, you know, mentioning Jaina Solo and, and, and Ben and stuff in those books, you know, those are my, some of my favorite characters. Those are the characters I want to know the most about, uh, you know, aside from, say, Jaden Kaur. Uh, you know, I want to know about him and Hondo Carr, what's going on with them. But Jaina Solo especially, you know, not just because I named my daughter after her, but I want to know, you know, did she start the Imperial Knights, you know, and, and how and what prompted that? Uh, you know, when we got to Crucible and stuff, Jag's at a spot where he's further away from being the Emperor than ever before. You know, I, I you know, things of those natures. I wanted to see them line up and stuff. Uh, you know, how the Imperial Knights were formed, though, is, is the one that really has me the most intrigued because Jaina seems the most obvious cause. But there, during all the events that was going on with uh, uh, Fate of the Jedi and, and Shadow of the Force or, or Legacy of the Force, I mean, there were moments where I began to think, you know, maybe Karan Horn's the one that started it. You know, maybe he leaves the Jedi and stuff. Maybe it was another Jedi that decided that they need to do something different. And they go to Jaina and they're like, you know, you need to, you know. There were so many angles that they could have played that I was always very interested as to how that was going to finally lock in and line up. Same thing with, with Luke's death. You know, in fact, the one aspect about Legends becoming Legends was that it freed up the big three in that regard. That if they were to go back and tell Legend stories, those three characters finally have a death sentence you know there's finally an opportunity for them to be killed because we're no longer worried about them being the big three because they're not they're now an alternate version and you can off these guys now you you know their story is finally told it's time you could kill them so there's a lot of rich opportunities there too that of of characters that i love i mean Luke Skywalker in that moment, you know, the next book, the book that was going to follow Crucible and stuff, that was always the Luke that I was most interested in. So 
I've had a real hard time going back with Canon and stuff, relearning about this new version of Luke because I've taken that journey with Luke and I love that character, the Superman version of Luke he's become that it's, it's, it's interesting to see a new version of him, but my heart's not into this new version of him as much. Uh, so, so there's a lot of angles at play here that, you know, it's nice seeing that other fans and stuff are, are of that nature, but I do notice that there's definite, distinction in in the age groups uh of of us you know the fans that are over 25 and over 30 and stuff into 30 and 50 uh you know they're the ones that really kind of question you know what lucas was doing in the prequels a lot more than the rest uh and the fans that are under 25 through you know 18 and stuff they're the ones that really are loving the ot and stuff and if you say very you know critical things about it well then you you hate it and and you know, as a fan who's been around for over 10 years, you know, fandom's not as cut and white or, you know, black and white in that regard. You can be critical about something and not hate it. Uh, and now you've got this newer generation that's seeing this stuff on TV and they're going to be seeing these new films and stuff. And we don't even know how their reactions to the other fans are going to be. You know, they could be just like, ah, oh, you know, this stuff's the new stuff and all that old stuff. Who cares? You know, and, and they're wanting all of us older fans that want the Clone Wars to continue in some form or fashion or Rebels to continue once it's been closed off to, you know, they're just, they're ready for us to just shut up and move on to the new stuff and embrace the new stuff. Fandom always continues on in that stretch where, you know, as we move on to the next property, we still want to go back and continue to flesh that stuff out because the opportunity will always be there. Wow. So this email brings up a lot of different points. And I'll tell you up front, I think I'm, it's going to seem like I'm going off the rails for a little bit because I want to try to hit several of these things. And, and they bring up things that have me just just frustrating sometimes, uh, very frustrated. Um, as far as the midichlorians go, um, I, it, first, it brings back a, a very sad joke that came up on our Facebook page. I forget exactly how it was worded, but to paraphrase it, um, uh, when dealing with, for instance, uh, the relationship between Cade Skywalker and Delia Blue, and uh, what Tahiri was trying to do when reaching inside Ben Skywalker's pants back in Legacy of the Force, you have to assume that they would need a cleanup on aisle three and there would be midichlorians everywhere. Um, two, with the midichlorians, I wonder how much of it is political correctness to a degree, or, or whatever you want to call that, the changing mindset of America, perhaps, because Lucas is an American filmmaker. He is out on the West Coast, or the Left Coast, as it's sometimes referred to, um, where the, the more left-leaning political and worldview tends to be pretty heavy. And originally, back in the 70s, he was trying to bring back this sense of the miraculous, of the fairy tale, of the mythology in filmmaking, in a time when films tended to be very, very dark, uh, very gritty, down-to-earth kind of stuff, he wanted to create something that was different and could lift up everybody, could appeal to kids, could appeal to adults, etc., etc. And the Force was that spiritual component, trying to find things about different religions around the world that they had somewhat in common, use that as this common spiritual backdrop to be the Force. And it was essentially the god or gods or Tao or whatever within Star Wars. You jump ahead into the late 90s, and we're in the era of global warming's gonna kill us when, you know, it was global cooling a few decades ago. Uh, now it's climate change, because you can't really say what's happening. It's, it's changing, but is it warming? Is it cooling? Screw it, it's just change. Uh, we're in an era in which uh, the idea of religion is starting to take a hit again. Um, this is even before 9-11, sort of this, you know, th that fundamental religious beliefs of different religious groups around the country are being sort of, of derided again instead of being 
uplifted or thought of as a good social backdrop for eventually, you know, good civic service and public policy and such where you don't base it on religion, but you have people who have morals from something else and bring their desire to do good into the public square. That's kind of the other way around where now it's looked at as though people who have any type of religious views at all are the enemy of the public square, are the enemy of society because they want to impose those values, which is not always the case, but sometimes the case. Um, you know, all these different things changing that have basically made it so, especially by the end of the 90s, religion was something that was somewhat scoffed at by many people. Um, ironically, it's also the era in which the uh, Religious Freedom Reformation Act was, I think it was what it was called, a Restoration Act, was actually signed into federal law by Bill Clinton, which now is getting attacked on state levels and whatnot, uh, when states are trying to do the same thing. There's this weird relationship of religion with American society. And as you get to the late 90s, that's when you start to see sort of this heavier division starting to form, where religion's starting to kind of be shoved off to the side a little bit more. And I wondered if, to a degree... This was Lucas saying, well, I have the force, it's this spiritual thing, but because the tide is turning in society to this idea that we need scientific answers for everything and screw religious beliefs, they're hokey or therefore simple-minded, as in a sense he said there, um, that, oh, well, we need to give some type of scientific explanation for the force so that we can fit with what society wants now, that the force has something spiritual. Well, you know what? It's just not good enough anymore to just be a spiritual thing. Um, which is sort of the same mindset of the, look, I can prove that God doesn't exist. God, if I'm, if you exist, uh, I'm standing here, strike me down with lightning. Oh, wait, I'm not dead. There must be no God kind of mindset. Smite me, almighty smiter! Yeah, so I wonder how much of it was a, a socially interactive thing between his creative self and the society in which he was living at the time, uh, versus his views on society and how it created the Force in the first place within Star Wars back in the 70s. I mean, a, a person as a creator of something fictional is going to be driven by their experiences, their worldview, and the society around them. And to an extent, you got to wonder if that had, had some uh, connection to it. But it wound up being something more like making sausage, right? Uh, everybody loves sausage. You really don't want to see how the sausage is made. Well, people love the Force, but they really didn't like finding out how the Force supposedly worked with the midichlorians and such. Uh, I do agree with this idea that in a lot of times, especially when we're in tough spots, we need that sort of spiritual or background of wonder in something. When I was a kid, Star Wars in a lot of ways provided that. I mean, it, it was sort of the gateway drug, so to speak, to me having any religious beliefs whatsoever in many ways. I mean, what my parents did was take me constantly uh, to church for, you know, Sunday school and church services and stuff. And my biggest concern when I was in church, I've said before, was writing on the program back and forth with my mom trying to negotiate where are we going fast food-wise for lunch afterwards. I didn't care what I was hearing. I didn't follow what I was hearing. I found my... I'm, I'm a Protestant Christian. I would say non-denominational beyond Protestant because I don't necessarily say Lutheran or, or Baptist or whatever. Um, but that was something I had to come to later on my own after a long time of being a deist and prior to that really not thinking about religion much. But it was Star Wars that sort of got me this idea of there is a right and wrong. Even if I wasn't thinking in religious terms, there is a right and wrong. You do do the right thing. You do strive for something better. The little guys can win out over the corrupt because that's the way it should work, etc., etc. Like what Lucas says about the Force, right? About, well, before the Mortis arc, about how balance is not necessarily light and dark being equal. It's that what is good is natural, the light side and the dark side, evil is like a corruption in it, 
And it's only when that corruption is excised and the light is able to grow, the good is able to grow, that is when balance has been achieved. It's not balance per se, it's the light side winning. So I can sort of see that, especially when dealing with those who've been in, uh, who've done horrific things. I can't imagine being in, in the position to see that and hear about that day in, day out. Uh, I'm with you in hoping that Episode 7 is like Episode 4 in terms of the reaction that it gets out of society and building up the wonder and the excitement of everything. I don't know if it's possible these days in modern society, in our extremely, extremely overcritical internet-based culture. You know, uh, you find something and genit pick. Uh, even the best of films that come out are going to have people tearing into it for rational and completely irrational reasons. Sometimes it's the intellectual honesty and it's being an honest critic. Other times it's just looking for something to jump on. I think I mentioned, I guess it's the last feedback episode we just did now, uh, the thing about Avengers 2 Age of Ultron and Black Widow. I'm a monster too. See, Joss Whedon is anti-woman. Oh, F you, it's Joss Whedon. Look at the stuff that he's done in the past and you tell me that he's a misogynist. Shut up. But they grab it. They run with it. It's just kind of what internet culture does. I don't know that we will ever have the ability to see something have the effect that episode four did. I think it's just a consequence of the society that we live in. Uh, I personally would love to have had a theatrical experience or even a drive-in experience like you did as far as being able to see it for the first time, remembering it, uh, being old enough to remember. Um, I wasn't. I'm 35. First Star Wars film I saw apparently was when I as a baby was taken to see The Empire Strikes Back. And no, I don't recommend ever taking a baby to a movie. Um, and then I sort of vaguely remember seeing Return of the Jedi when I was about three years old. But that's about it at least as far as theatrical experiences, until uh, the special editions came out while I was in high school. Uh, my drive-in experience is actually pretty I've only been to a drive-in once in my entire life, and the experience was seeing the movies A Perfect Murder and Hope Floats. So, as you can imagine, my drive-in experience was not very good, uh, just because the movies sucked. But I'm not sure we can get that either anymore. I think at a celebration, you'll be able to get something like, hey, let's show... You know, Revenge of the Sith in 3D and everybody's excited. Or here's an event in Orlando, let's show Return of the Jedi and everybody's excited. Because it's actually Star Wars fans in the crowd, uh, they're really getting into it. Lightsabers going up in the air and everything. We sort of got that with Phantom Menace for me back in 99. But I'm not sure we could really get that today. Aside from the fact that, of course, you have you know the, the, the culture around it and the reviews and whatnot. Um, I personally don't think we have that type of theater experience anymore. In many places around the country, at least in the U.S., um, I was amazed to hear that recording that was recently released online of the guy who actually has a recording from '77 of uh, seeing Star Wars for the first time, seeing A New Hope for the first time, and hearing the crowd's reactions and clapping and cheering and excitement. That's going along with what you're seeing on the screen. Instead, now I usually don't like to go to a movie theater. First time we'd gone in a while was to see Age of Ultron, and still. No! You know, just, you go to the, th the theater, you sit down, you pay for your overpriced popcorn, your overpriced drink, your overpriced ticket, you sit down, and you're in there with people who can't shut their phones off, can't turn the light from their phones off, perhaps, and people talking at the screen, people are just rude a-holes these days at movie theaters. We went to see Age of Ultron and sat in front of a group of people who apparently had one idiot in there that needed the entire damn movie explained to them. Well, see, that's Captain America. He took a super soldier sermon. That's Iron Man. He's Tony Stark, actually, inside the suit. It's not a robot. Just shut the up. Shut the up. Shut the up. <laughs> you, the movie theater experience these days 
is horrible most yes. of the time, at least in the area that I live in. Um, if only for that, the fact that people are rude pieces of <laughs> when they walk into a movie theater, apparently. We lose all sense of giving a damn about being kind to one another and just turn into self-centered <laughs> As soon as we sit down in the seat and say, I paid for this popcorn and this ticket, I can be as big an asshole as I want to be. I don't think we'll ever have that type of experience again with a Star Wars film. I think Star Wars will get us as close to that kind of experience as can be had these days. But no, I'm not sure that that type of experience even exists anymore in modern America. No, really. Tell us how you really feel, though. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it'd be me going a little bit off the rails, but but it was all building to... Yes, if you're going to a movie theater, and I go to the same movie theater generally that uh, Riley and Bethany go to, uh, Tinseltown 17 over in Fayetteville, Georgia. Seriously, there needs to be, I mean, I mean, it, it, they need to change a little opening thing. Please silence your phones and be kind to one another. To just instead have like, um, I don't know, uh, Give shocking me. device underneath you know you'll feel more of that if we see your phone on <laughs> yeah a shock device and then give us like one of the loudest most obnoxious people in the world on the screen and instead of saying please turn off your devices and be kind just have the person scream shut the f up over and over again and maybe well, they'll get it there is something here that you're, you're you're circling around. There is an evolving theatrical experience and society at the same time. Devolving, or or a devolving, or, or or that we've evolved to the point that we're desensitized. Um, you know, A New Hope comes out. It's the first time we see a Star Destroyer, anything that big, that immense, take up the screen for that long. Okay, everybody goes eight. Empire Strike Back comes along, and it gives us the the first bad guy esque type ending where the bad guys seemingly win everybody's still shook up about that then back to the future comes and we get a to be continued that they never planned to continue so then that lasted uh, for a long uh, time but the back to the future thing didn't add the to be continued until home video it was not on the theatrical release oh well see see i didn't see it in theatrical i only saw it on the one so well i, I just remember there they had that uh but then you had the 90s, you had Pulp Fiction, right, where Quentin Tarantino did his whole, we're going to chop up the movie and we're going to show it in a different thing. And that was like all movies of the 90s were, were playing with that in some form or fashion. Then 2000 comes along. And at this point, you know, Lucas is about to do his stuff. But you've got The Matrix and it does that whole slow down stuff. And then everybody seems to take and run with that. And then, and I even hate to use this one as example, but what it did for film slash 3D stuff, you have that movie that stole the name Avatar, uh, called Avatar with the big blue things, where they were doing all their practical effects with the new technology as well. And it seems like, you know, every one of these movies did something for the theatrical experience and, and the movies that followed it subsequently. You know, I mean, and it just seems like we've become, you know, it's almost like what happens when you give a young kid a, a cell phone or, or a tablet. You know, they they're the, the they get so used to the flashes and the fast everything that when they have to stop and read a book, they're just bored, you know, <laughs> and, and I almost wonder if that's like the same thing, like everything's got to be ramped up. You know, we're so desensitized to everything because it's just been so much image overload, you know, or that we've seen these same types of themes and tropes and genres and stuff so many times that we've become cynical as a society. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even when I went to Avengers and, and they had multiple versions of the shut off your phones, they had the M&Ms doing it. They had the old let's go out to the lobby. And then they had the updated version of them saying it to they had actors saying it. It was like 
And yet, bam, here we are, still in the movie. And then some D-bag is pulling out his phone and using it as a flashlight to look all over the ground for whatever he drops. Like, really? Like, it's not going anywhere. It's sitting right there. Just remember it when the theater's over, you know? But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, of that angle. I think that's, for me, why I have a problem going out in public in general most of the time is because a lot of people tend to be, you know, so self-absorbed that they're not paying attention to other people. But I don't know, man, maybe it's time for you now that you got this uh, online job, maybe just to move out of there because like you're like in like a, a headquarters of D bag central or something, man, like etiquette and protocol has been lost where you're at. <laughs> it certainly seems to be the case. And let's hope that uh, film evolution does take some positive terms in the near future. I would hate to see, uh, what would happen with Felicity Jones's character in Star Wars Rogue One if the director is inspired by the success of Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> that was the sound of vomit in one's mouth. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> water well, up my nose. <laughs> okay. This brings us to a pair of emails from Lenny Klein. Len says, "Hey, Mark and Nathan." Star Wars question. I'm curious, how do you guys plan to handle the deficit of background information with story group canon? What I mean is, take for example Dawn of the Jedi. It doesn't directly contradict anything in the story group, so for me, I've established an until it's contradicted, it's part of the mainline story method. I just don't see how they'll ever get up to the sheer amount of history as legends, and I think it really hurts the saga. Sometimes I wish they'd just canonize some of the old Republic stuff and the occasional West End Games source book, all the maps and diagrams, for instance. I mean, chances are, nobody is going to bother redoing any of it. Any thoughts on those things? Non-Star Wars question. I bet this question will be somewhat of an oddball compared to the others, but I'm curious to what Mark and Nathan, since Nathan's a history and economics teacher, think about the Russian seizure of Ukraine and the growing fear in Europe over this. Hopefully this isn't too political for you and Mark to answer. Star Wars question number two. Why did Admiral Mahdi essentially call the Force fake to Vader when it seems a logical conclusion that Vader uses the Force to relieve his officers of command all day? Had Vader's deeds become more legend than fact to the galaxy? And non-Star Wars question number two. Have either of you read or watched any of the classic sci-fi books or movies like Flash Gordon, Asimov, Heinlein, Clark, Bradbury? If so, do you have a favorite? What messages or themes do they convey that make it your favorite? May the force be with you. Thanks, Len Klein. Well, first off, Lenny, congratulations on the new position as our newest writer on the Star Wars Report. Congrats for that. Uh, it, you know, when it comes to the approaches with the story group and stuff, I know that, that that's one of the ones that I'm constantly, you know, scratching my head going, where are they going to go next? Uh, you know, the position of, of it, it fits until it's contradicted. I think the problem with that is it leaves us as a fandom and, and, and the people that are, are looking at the story as how it's coming. It leaves us with a lot of false perceptions as what could come. Uh, though speculation is good. I know, you know, I've said it before. John Jackson Miller said they're not going to go out of their way to reinvent the wheel. Uh, so, you know, it makes me wonder beyond that. He, you know, he was specifically talking for the galaxy at large, but. When you've got characters like Will of Tarkin, you know, we, we managed to keep his first name and things like that. I mean, there there is a level of, well, you know, how much of this are they going to take and keep? And so how much of this should I just assume is going to continue versus, you know, how much is it going to be completely blank slated? Uh, and I, I again, I get back to that false perceptions. I mean, if we're just assuming these things that, that it is and then when we find out that what our assumptions were were wrong – 
while I'll say you and I and Nathan, you know, we may be intellectually honest enough to accept it for what it is. There are going to be other people out there that are going to just cry foul. That's not his name. That's not what his name was. And, you know, I think we most of us out there have seen it enough that that typically is going to happen regardless. Uh, no matter how many fans out there educate themselves as to what's going on, there's still going to be those fans that don't know. They're going to react. Then you're going to have those fans that have an idea of what's going on chiming in. Then you're going to have those fans that have more of an idea chiming in. Then you're going to have those fans that know the actual facts chiming in. And then you're going to have them all bantering and arguing over whose point of view is is what. And that's the chaos of it all. And that's why I kind of just – I'm just like, you know, it's a complete blank slate and they have all these possibilities that they could do. Uh, but, I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a slippery slope with that one. Uh, as, as for Mahdi and him, you know, not believing in the Force that much, you know, he must either have not ran into Vader that often or he was relatively new to his position. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it comes down to how small is the galaxy going to be? You know, I mean, sometimes legends will play up that there were people that had never seen a Jedi before. None of them had even known who they were. Uh, you know, his can and going to roll with that. I, I question that too, because, you know, we still have that short period of time from the galaxy remembering Jedi to totally forgetting about them. Now, if the galaxy was a large enough place that not many Jedi were out and about, even though there were thousands and hundreds and thousands of them, uh, well, then they, yeah, that would still make sense. Uh, but, you know, if the Jedi were, were something that people saw them all over the place, every planet had at least one Jedi showing up often, uh, you know, then it would it would lean more to Mahdi being almost a smart aleck, you know. And then, then you have to wonder, like, was he purposely goading Vader because he didn't really believe Vader would actually choke him out, uh, you know, or do those kind of things? Like, there's so many different motivations and angles that run with that now that canon's been completely reset. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's many angles on that that I could, I could roll with. <laughs> I definitely think that the lack of backstory is going to hurt story group canon at least for a little while because it does leave a lot of questions. You know, you know, how did they find the Death Star plans? Well, now we're going to get that with Rogue One. Uh, what about the first time? Oh, God. What about the first time that Luke returns to Tatooine, which we're apparently seeing already? Um, you know, things like that that we sort of take for granted as part of Legends don't necessarily exist. You know, they're... And at least as far as canon is concerned, as far as we know, there was never a Sith Order prior to the one that includes Bane and Palpatine and, you know, Vader and so on. Uh, yeah. you know, anything with Exar Kun and that whole idea of a, or of a Sith Empire, gone. Well, so, even the schism aspect, right? As mm -hmm. Bane was never from a Jedi schism or his order never... I mean, that that completely changes. I mean, we don't even know if there's a Sith species at all. True. Uh it was interesting, though, recently they published Ultimate Star Wars, and it's getting smacked around quite a bit because it does have some errors in it. No, Evan Peel is not a freaking Zabrak. No, Dathomirian is not uh, Darth Maul's species. He's a Dathomirian Zabrak, but not just Dathomirian, uh, which they reference correctly in, in another part of the book. Uh, no, it's not Clone One, it's Slave One, and so on. There are little errors here and there that they've even acknowledged are errors, not setting new canon, just a screw-up. And I can certainly, you know, agree that typos can happen. I mean, part of the reason why the Revenge of the Sith dated movie map in the Essential Atlas is screwed up and has the wrong date on it is because I had a typo in an email to Leland Chi and nobody ever fixed it. Um, but what I find interesting is that when you look at that book, it's chock full of information, but it's information from the Clone Wars, from uh, the classic trilogy, the prequel trilogy, little bits from Rebels, a tiny bit from new books and whatnot, like A New Dawn. Uh, it's interesting that, yes, they've carried over a lot of the species names, a lot of the characters' names, uh, a lot of you know, planet names and such. So it's kind of like the nomenclature of the galaxy still exists, 
It's just that certain events that we've taken for granted aren't necessarily there, and there's questions as to what has come before. You know, uh, what was young Han Solo like? Well, we found out that he was apparently orphaned and on the street at a young age, according to what we got out of Ultimate Star Wars. It's only added a tiny bit of new information to the continuity or to the new continuity. Most of it's just rehashing what's in the films and whatnot, but confirming names and species and things like that that give me hope that we'll see more development as we go along. And remember, I got into Star Wars books and comics, not counting a few little comics I read randomly as a kid back in the 80s from Marvel. I jumped into it in 1992 when Dark Force Rising came out, and I picked up Heir to the Empire and Dark Force Rising, went back and picked up Dark Empire and so on. And you had kind of the same type of dynamic that there is now in that you had a continuity that didn't have a lot of stories in it at the time. People wondering, well, what came first? What came in that five-year gap between Return of the Jedi and Heir to the Empire? What were the circumstances of Han and Leia marrying and so on? What comes next? You know, what's going on with the prequels? What about this Joris Sabaoth? How do the Clone Wars play out? But then you also had people saying, yeah, but what about the Nagai? What about the Toffs? What about the Hiromi? What about all these characters from the Marvel era? Even though at the time, it, the Marvel stuff wasn't considered part of that Legends continuity. It was considered a separate thing. It was only brought in back in like the 2000s. So I think we've got to just give it time, right? The original Legends official continuity had to take time to build, even though it was building upon something that had existed before, that eventually got folded in. Now we've got a new continuity building up. Maybe they'll fold in some elements of it later on, but it's the ground floor. I mean, we're only a short while into it. And we've already got more books than the Legends continuity had in its first year to year and a half. So at least we have a, a running start this time around. As for Mahdi, yeah, I mean, that's another of those things where you know Lucas creates something in a film, and then th there's some iconic aspect from another film, like the choking of the Imperial officers, and they just use it like crazy in the Legends continuity to the point where it makes no sense why he would say what he said to a degree. Uh, I mean, unless he's just really, really isolated, because he's not only just saying, you know, I don't believe that Vader has this type of power. He's also saying, you know, the Force is basically BS. You know, it's just, again, going back to sort of that, you know, we need to explain something with science or it can't be real, hence the midichlorians type of mindset. You know, unless somebody explained midichlorians to Mahdi, apparently he's not going to believe the Force exists, even if he's hearing about it, even if perhaps he knows about the Jedi from the past and that sort of thing. Um, he just sort of writes it off as just superstition. That's um, interesting that he doesn't necessarily say that it doesn't exist so much as he sort of hints that it does. Because you could make the argument that saying, you know, don't frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader, which is always a hard line for him to say and for me to repeat. Uh, or your sad uh, devotion to that ancient religion, blah, 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 blah. I'm not so sure that he's even saying that it doesn't exist so much as he's just discounting it and putting it aside as one might discount, say, you know, mysticism. In certain aspects of world religions now that believe that believe, you know, their early ancestors had certain thoughts, abilities, practices that they believe is still real, but they don't take into account in their particular version of that new uh, evolved, if you want to call it that religion. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And of course, it's interesting now that we finally uh, have this new canon to give us a little bit more of a controlled way of telling how much did the galaxy know about the Jedi? What happened after the Clone Wars? How much of the information was contained and whatnot? Uh, Lords of the Sith making it a big deal about how the galaxy does not know that Palpatine is a Sith or has any Force powers. They just think he's an old, wrinkled politician that was injured by the Jedi coup, and so on and so on. So, be interesting to see where that goes. As to the non-Star Wars questions, um, not really a whole lot of classic sci-fi reading for me, at least not recently. Outside of the things that I read in school, you know, like 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 and whatnot. Although I am going back now and reading Frank Herbert's Dune, 
and I'm reading that in conjunction with reading Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert's continuation in prequel books and whatnot. I've read the original Dune uh, and watched both the uh, Kyle MacLachlan film and the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, thanks in big part to Rob Mullen having copies that he gave me. And uh, so in, in reading that first book, I've kind of got a sense of Herbert and his style. Now I'm reading Paul of Dune, which is one of the ones by Anderson and Brian Herbert, and then it'll be uh, next up, I guess, with Dune Messiah. So I'm slowly getting into that. Uh, I will say I like modern writing styles better than I like classic writing styles, because modern writing styles tend to focus on like that third-person limited perspective as opposed to third-person unlimited or constantly switching and not really having a perspective character that just kind of varies by paragraph or varies by chapter. But yeah, I just haven't really read too heavily into it personally. As for Ukraine and Russia, uh, I don't know. It's it's like anything. I mean, it's, it's like with Star Wars, right? I mean, Star Wars is taking themes from history like the fall of the Roman Empire, the transformation of the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire and, and whatnot, uh, the idea of good versus evil, totalitarianism versus freedom and such, and basically taking that and applying it in a fictional setting. It's so familiar to us. Because history is full of those types of things. History is full of um, oppression, annexation, fights for freedom, uh, some being labeled as terrorists, some being labeled as freedom fighters. When their goals are the same, it just depends on whose side they happen to be on and what their tactics happen to be. Um, I think what's going on sucks for the people of Ukraine uh, because they're caught in the middle of everything. But at the same time, there's something to be said for self-determination to an extent, and I can't help but think about this and look at the situation in Ukraine, the fact that it's a small portion where apparently a lot of people, a majority of people, wanted to join Russia, at least from what I'm understanding. It's been a while since I've looked at the specifics. Um, and yet Ukraine wasn't willing to give up the territory, and, and it just kind of kept ramping up from there. I am reminded of you know, the early 19-teens. I'm reminded of uh, the Slavic peoples who wanted to break away from Austria-Hungary and potentially join Slavic Serbia right next door who weren't allowed to do so until eventually the Serbian Black Hand terrorist group and Gravilla Princip decided to come over uh, into Sarajevo during one of the visits of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife and assassinate them both, precipitating what eventually became World War I uh, because of all the alliances that have been made, not so much because of that particular act. It should have been just Serbia versus Austria-Hungary, but they had all those alliances, that tangled web that had been formed after Napoleon uh, for the, the supposed balance of power that turned it into a big dogpile that became World War I. Um, I don't, it's not to say I expect to see a big war coming out of this, because most of the world looks at Ukraine and says, yeah, screw you, you're on your own at this point. But it's interesting that as much as we study history as human beings, damned if we're any good at learning from it. Yeah, when it comes to politics stuff, I'm one of those I tend to avoid it as much as possible because yeah, I, I just feel like anything I'm reading, there's another article out there that has totally counterpoints and things like that. So it's just hard to even figure out what's fact from spin. So, you know, when it comes to most of those things, I'm really kind of like until it's blown up and it's in the world's face, uh, you know, I, I don't do much. In fact, there's this whole Baltimore thing going on and it ties in with Grant's Pass, which is odd because it's actually Merlin. But anytime Merlin does anything, they say it's Grant's Pass where these oath keepers have set up shop at one of the mines up here. And it's a big thing that's going on that 
they're having a standoff with BLM and federal agents and stuff, but it's, you know, completely swept under the rug that they don't want anyone to know. And over here locally, it's this huge, big thing. And how come no one's spreading this out? And how come this ain't on the big media yet? Uh, but yeah, so I, I avoid most of that stuff uh, because I've got my head in the books for the most part. And, you know, when it comes to classic sci-fi and stuff, I, I think sci-fi wise, it's just Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, for the most part, I'm I'm more into into science fantasy, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I've got a lot of books that I bought that I plan on reading at some point. But again, you know, I don't have as much time as I wish. Uh, some books I've already read, like Patricia Briggs. Uh, she wrote the uh, Dragon Blood, Dragon Bones duology and the uh, Raven Strike, Raven Shadow. Read those. Love those. Uh, haven't got into her Mercy series. Uh Kim Harrison writes a good witch a series with witches and vampires and stuff. Read a few of those books. They're pretty good. Got a few more that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I've got them. My brother-in-law gave me uh, all of Robert Jordan's, uh, I think it's Wheel of Time series. I've got that that I've got to read at some point. And I've, I've started the first book. I haven't read it, but I've got it, uh, Game of Thrones. Want to read that at some point. But Star Trek, I've got my dad's whole Star Trek collection. He gave me those. I've got some of those books. Uh, there after... Uh, first contact and stuff I, I read some of the books that followed that the continuity that they built that went from there that led up into uh you know right up pretty much to the point where they jumped back in time and stuff and started a new one uh got a lot of zombie books world war z the rising things of that nature a lot of marvel iron man novels spider-man novels things like that uh a whole bunch of those in fact uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, for the most part, though, most of my time is, is gone. So I just I Star Wars is where I, you know, really enjoy the most. So that's pretty much where I'm sticking most of my fandom. I mean, when it comes to getting away from that, it comes to the comics. Uh, that's when I get my other fixes. You know, I'll go with the Firefly and I go with a lot of the Marvel stuff uh, and then the Walking Dead. Uh, you know, love that stuff as well. And so, yeah, getting the Walking Dead books is another one of those things that I hope to get into down the road. And that's that's the upside of having Audible. In fact, I'm actually at an up point now where I can actually get a book that's outside this genre because the book I'm currently reading is a Star Wars book and I've already got another credit. And by the time I get done with this book, it'll probably be the next month and I'll have an extra credit. So I'm like, yeah, this kind of worked out. I'll get another book and actually get to do some listening when I go camping. I mean, that seems to be the main time I get to actually do most of my reading anymore is when I'm camping. And I just don't get to camp as much as I'd like now that my son's in Boy Scouts and not Cub Scouts. On the note, by the way, dealing with, you know, history versus, you know, politics versus Star Wars. If you haven't checked it out, great book out there is Star Wars and History edited by Nancy Reagan or Regan. R-E-A-G-I-N, and Janice Lytle, L-I-E-D-L, that came out uh, fairly recently. It's been within the last couple of years. I remember reading it when it first came out, sitting, having my vehicle worked on over at Kia, so it can't be that old, because my Kia's not that old. Also coming in from Lenny. Nathan and Mark. I'm replying to the post about you and Mark's knowledge as compared to other podcasts. This is something we posted on Facebook out of curiosity when it comes to our background knowledge, particularly with EU stuff, versus other podcasts that people listen to and, and how that changes the way people look at the show and look at other podcasts and what they enjoy, what they don't, and so on. He says, I listen to quite a few podcasts and quite a few Star Wars podcasts, and I have to say, Beyond the Films is in my top three. I don't rank them individually. You and Mark, it's because I was the one who posted, you and Mark always pose intellectual questions. The Anakin as the Chosen One question would be an example. And tie Star Wars to quite a few historical happenings, though I can't remember them off the top of my head. I know there have been quite a few. As a side note, another benefit that I enjoy about your podcast is that when it comes to political issues, 
you don't slam people who disagree with your views, or you don't bring them up at all. I say this because another podcast I listened to got embroiled in the murky waters of same-sex sexual relationship acceptance, with the inclusion of an openly lesbian character in Star Wars. And while they did their best not to bash the side they didn't agree with, they began to slowly descend that slippery slope. They were beginning to bash those who were worried about the consequences of such an act. While I am totally for debating such topics in a friendly manner, just hearing your beliefs bashed was not the most entertaining way to listen to that Star Wars podcast. So I appreciate how you and Mark are always careful to either not bring those issues into Star Wars, or if you do, you do your best to state your opinion and take a neutral standpoint when discussing its consequences. As a clarification, I love to debate the issues and think they should be dealt with, but I don't like hammering either side. Thanks, Len Klein. Yeah, politically, you know, I try to be as open as I can be. Uh, you know, I do come from, as Nathan puts it, the left west. <laughs> I'm a tear down the two party system and just let everybody vote, uh, you know, by themselves kind of guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. When I grew up, my, my family was always talking politics, logging. Uh, you know, I, I came up, I grew up in the mountains with no power until I was nine. You know, we came from a big logging family and stuff. And when the spotted owl, controversy and stuff in in the, the early 90s late 80s and stuff i mean that was huge i remember like all the family conversations at the dinner tables and stuff all focused around that so i i think as i grew up and even my mom and stuff as we we eventually moved away from where she grew up because her dad was born and raised on that hill you know pretty much lived and died on that hill uh you know my grandma he'd met her when they were little kids they were neighbors uh you know it was just one of those ironies of things and they moved away grew up and came back and then had their own family on that same hill so my mom wanted to get the heck away from there uh and so you know it was kind of one of those things like the family always talked politics and stuff so we kind of didn't uh you know my mom was very big on on having everything being equal uh and stuff because she came from three siblings and it, nothing was ever e equal for her she was the youngest and things were just always odd like that and so you know my dad was registered as republican she was registered as a democrat and that, they did that so they could each vote on things and you know it was just odd watching my parents and stuff so i, I think a lot of where i come from is based on that because they wanted me to be open and, and come to my own conclusions on things and and not just openly do because my dad's side of the family you know they're all republicans they all you know it's it's kind of like you know the family does this and everybody does it kind of thing and if you branch away well then you're the odd duck for doing those kind of things um so i don't know for me it's like that's I always kept politics out of things because it kind of always isolated me and my family from the rest of my own family. And so I found that in general, you know, when those type of things came up, once you ran into somebody that was just so opposite of what you were thinking or were open to, then it became that thing where it just closed those things down too. So, you know, that was politics, abortion and uh, religion were like the, the three things that I typically don't talk about in general because I'm so open and most people I talk to aren't. <laughs> so is, yeah, it's a different thing. And then, you know, I think that also goes into hand to hand with, you know, what I'm doing on the page with pondering. I like to ponder random crap. So, I mean, I'm, I'm open to things or open to exploring things that I already have an opinion formed on. Uh, you know, like I'll, I'll ponder something and then, then I'll spend like the next five, you know, posts and stuff explaining how that's not my stance. I'm just, you know, it's just a ponder, you know, I'm just thinking outside the box. Uh, you know, so, so sometimes there's that angle too, where it's like, I got to be a little more specific when it is something that I'm thinking of versus I'm just playing devil's advocate because <laughs> I like to do that too. Sometimes I'll ask questions that I, I don't 
even want to know, or I already know the answer, but the guy next to me, I know he's never going to ask it and he doesn't know it. And sometimes I'll ask and I'll, I'll play it like it's my question as well. And sometimes that backfires on me as well. So yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, I've, I found you don't want to jump into a political arena with Nathan because, uh, you know, that's, he's studying that kind of stuff. So, you know, you don't drop anything like you think it might be a fact because he knows the facts. I, I don't, I'll, I'll ask him a fact or two because everything I, I get, I'm getting from places that I'm pretty sure is all spin, spin, spin. Yeah, sadly, most of it out there is spin, spin, spin. Um, I guess, you know, kind of full disclosure up front, I think of myself, if anything, as a libertarian as opposed to Republican or Democrat. I tend to to agree with conservatives or Republicans on quite a few issues, mainly dealing with things like fiscal things, financial things, and size and scope of government. But then when it comes to things like individual rights, equality, and where you can sometimes use things like government funding to actually make something better, though it's in limited cases, I would say, that's when I tend to lean more towards the Democrats so and the left. So I think that approach that's more based on sort of founding principles, freedom, don't constrain unless you absolutely must, if there's a compelling need, uh, following rule of law, a Supreme Court precedent and that sort of thing, all to me sort of comes down to being almost like a libertarian perspective, sort of a, uh, you know, I'm going to mock what I'm going to mock whether it's Republican or Democrat. And people who follow my personal Facebook page probably think that I'm extremely conservative now because of how much I take slaps at the stupid crap that I see coming out of the Obama administration. But if you go back a few years, I'm slapping the crap out of you know the Bush administration. And before that, when I was in college, the Clinton administration. It's more sort of a, you know, people in power doing things they shouldn't or doing idiotic things. I'm I'm going to talk about it. Or if there's a controversial issue, I want to get down to the fundamentals of it because usually as Mark was saying, there's spin to it. Usually there isn't intellectual honesty in the discussion. Um, take uh, the Michael Brown case uh, in, in Ferguson, Missouri and everything. And, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Well, we found out pretty early on, hands up, don't shoot didn't happen. There was no hands up, don't shoot comment. There was no he had his hands up and was coming back thing. The forensic evidence put that right down the toilet. And yet that's still where the discussion boils over from. Um I find it interesting where a lot of times it's more about perception of fact than actual fact. Same thing if you want to talk about controversial Supreme Court or controversial court cases. And granted, for me, a lot of my formative years back in high school was during the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, I think about things like, you know, the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case and what the forensic evidence said versus what the media was spinning the entire time. Um, and the same thing I think a lot of times can apply to uh, to what's law versus what's happening, like uh, the Iran deal stuff going on right now and how, well, we need to have a special uh, uh, thing being passed through Congress to say that we get a say in this. Dude, it's a treaty if he makes an agreement with them on this scale. The Senate has to approve it. So you're basically saying, please give us the power that we already have, sir. It just, just, there's so much stuff about it that it's a farce. Politics these days a lot of times is a farce. And if you want to get into the the deeper issues, you have to start looking at it as a more human level and look at it by breaking it down into its bits and pieces. So I always find it fascinating to do, but um, I mean, I know that I come from a perspective where, you know, like I was raised mostly by my mom. My dad uh, left when we were relatively young. He came back into our lives later and he's, he's changed in such a way. I mean, he's someone I try to be like as opposed to avoid being like, like I would have said if I was, you know, 12 years old or something. Um, but being raised by my mom, her perspective was essentially equality and treating everybody the right way. 
Uh, but granted, we were in Evansville, Indiana, which is a very white area, and we were on the west side of the city, which is a very white part of the city. Uh, my mom loves to tell the story about how when I was young, um, there was a student in one of my classes. I don't know if it's preschool, kindergarten, or what it was. And there was a student in there who was African-American, which wasn't a term being used at the time. And someone referred to the black kid. And I turned to my mom and, I'm, uh, and I had to, and I argued until I was red in the face. He's not black. Why are you calling him black? That's not the color of his, what are you talking? And my mom had to explain to me at that age, that's a term for a race of people. Understand there are different races in the country. I had no idea. Okay. That's how completely naive I guess I was at the time and how sheltered in a sense that area of the country was. Um, but as I've grown up, sort of taken that mindset and the mindsets coming out of things like Star Wars and science fiction that are much more inclusive and just sort of said, you know, we're all people. So we want to try to understand people's perspectives, not necessarily lump people into races, victim races, oppressor races or anything like that. You just sort of look at individuals. And I hope that that comes out with me having the ability to play devil's advocate a lot of the times, but also see things from different perspectives, even if I may not fit that perspective. I mean, I'm. I guess I'm majority, right? I'm uh, English-speaking, white, Christian, male. Uh, as Dennis Miller once said, demographically, I'm everybody's asshole. Um, I'm, the, I'm the one oppressing everyone, apparently. Um, but you have to move beyond your own mindset if you're ever going to be able to have real connections with other people. So you have to be able to look at things from other people's perspectives and, and see where your background isn't necessarily everyone's background. And I think that hopefully comes through. It is helped, though, in a lot of ways, I think, by the fact that I am a teacher. So not only do I have the background in the history, the politics, the sociology, psychology, and that sort of thing that helps me understand kind of the world that's going on around us also, it's that I try to do what a lot of teachers don't do, and it pisses me off when they don't do it. And that is leave your freaking politics out of the classroom. Okay? I have run across teachers in the past who try, like many college professors do, to force their opinion on the students. I had an avowed communist as a teacher in college um, telling us about how the Cold War didn't go the right way and the Soviets should have won and the world would be a damn better place. Um, there's only so much you can take of people trying to force you and mold you to their point of view and indoctrinate you in a sense. What we're supposed to be doing as teachers is teaching people how to think, not what to think. Make them critical thinkers, problem solvers, not saying, you know, 2 plus 2 is 4, but why is 2 plus 2 4? So that you can understand other math problems later. Um, understanding the why a Supreme Court case was ruled a certain way, as opposed to, well, here's just what the ruling was, memorize it, or here's the date of this election, or here's uh, the middle name of Ulysses S. Grant. Did you know it's not a middle name? Um, that type of thing. Until finally we have to step back and say, we're not going to teach you what to think. We're going to teach you how, and here's all the points of view. Now you decide. Right? I mean, we talk about all kinds of issues when talking about history and politics, and actually my students became very frustrated at times because I would give them each point of view and play devil's advocate with each point of view. One of the challenges that I gave my students when I was teaching in a traditional classroom was that by the end of the year, you can ask, and I will probably have to tell you what political leanings I have, who I perhaps voted for, and what my religion is. Because you will not be able to tell. If I am doing my job right, you will not be able to tell from the way that I teach this class. Because I will teach each religion equally. I will treat each political perspective equally, each political side equally. 
because I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here during your formative years to show you how to critically look at things as you become an adult. And I would hope that carries across with that intellectual honesty into the show. So you're saying you're creating a bunch of Sith Lords because the second Jason had a full encompassing view of the Force, he went total dark side douchebag. <laughs> I guess so, although I would hope that uh, it's more like uh, uh, Obi-Wan. You've taken your first step into a larger world and becoming light side. But yeah, I just it drives me crazy when teachers try to force their perspective on people. And on this show, I also know that we don't want to wind up offending people either. I mean, we can discuss the issues, but we need to... You know, have a chance to at least explore each side and try to give some airing of each because you don't want to drive people away. I can remember an early podcast which had an issue because they swiped a bunch of stuff from my chrono radio back in the day and we had a big kind of row over the whole thing. Um, lost a lot of its listeners because it went on several anti-gay rants for no apparent reason on the show. And that's just not how you do a podcast if you want to have an inclusive audience. Which is definitely what we're aiming for here. Everybody's welcome. That brings us to a series of four emails. We're actually going to combine them together here and respond to them all at once for the sake of time. Coming in from Jameson or Jamie Glass, who is someone who has helped out quite a bit on the Star Wars timeline goal by providing some information about the Old Republic. He's kind of like the, the Old Republic MMO expert uh, in the circle of people that I know and that we know online. And he wrote in and multiple times. We're going to run them all together here and discuss them all uh, at once as we get to the end because of time. He says, hey, guys, I've been following the timeline since the Star Wars Timeline Gold 47, whenever that was. Your show came along and I tried it out. I have to say I've been enjoying it. Some subjects interest me more than others. As I have a multiple points or comments or ponders, this may take a while. First, Star Wars The Old Republic. I know Mark has had many questions about the game. One that I can think of right off the top of my head is Scourge. Note here, there will be spoilers. Okay, at the end of the Revan novel, Scourge sees a vision of the hero of Tython, the Jedi Knight class. And because of that, kills Mitra Surik and allows the Emperor to defeat and capture Revan. Scourge then becomes the Emperor's Wrath. More on Revan later. Fast forward 300 or so years. The Jedi Knight has defeated Bengal Moore, my... Destroyed the Desolators and saved Tython in the process and found the Emperor's Fortress. All this is in the prologue and first two chapters of the Jedi Knight story arc. On Quesh, in the middle of Chapter 2, Scourge meets the Jedi Knight for the first time and is intrigued by him. In the Chapter 2 finale, the Knight and his companions end up being freed by Scourge. The Knight then takes Scourge to the Council at the Warrior's request. Scourge then explains what he knows about the Emperor and that he's planning a ritual that wipes out everything. Think Nathema on a larger scale. I can't tell you much more of the story after that because Belsavis is a pain. As far as companion dynamics, do both Scourges work if two knights team up, etc.? Unless you're doing main quest missions and are watching the cutscenes, Scourge simply helps you fight. He dies way too quick in my mind, but that's beside the point. If two Jedi Knights team up, they simply have two Scourges helping them fight or gather resources. Groups in Tor have a maximum of four, and companions count against that. So if three human players team up, only one can have their companion active. Generally, a healer companion is preferred. Hopefully that answers some of Mark's Scourge questions. Second, Revan. After the novel, you have a huge gap of time and then the game. Revan reappears in a series of flashpoints as stated in the episodes on the Revan novel. Spoilers ahead, tread carefully. The flashpoints, Tarl V and Maelstrom Prison on the Republic side, followed by Boarding Party and the Foundry on the Imperial side, show Mitra's Force Ghost telling the four classes of Revan's fate after which they free him. 
He tells the council he's going to finish what he started, and the Imperials track him down and apparently kill him. That appeared to be the end of the story until the Forged Alliance's storyline was released. This followed Theron Shan and his counterpart on the Imperial side as they uncovered a threat to both Republic and Empire. Turned out that the Revanites, a side quest chain from Dromenkast early in the game, have been reformed by Revan in his Darth Revan form with the mask and everything. Then you have the Shadow of Revan expansion. In it you find that the Revan who controls the Revanites is his dark side personified that will stop at nothing to destroy the Emperor. Revan is truly dead and reconciles with his dark manifestation, however. The Emperor's spirit, which was freed so that Dark Revan could destroy it, is now on the loose. We eagerly await the next set of new story content to wrap up the open plot points. It appears from this that we've seen the last of Revan, but that Star Wars The Old Republic is far from being over. Third, in response to the format's idea, audio dramas. I listened to the NPR radio dramas of the original trilogy several years ago. Semi-recently, I tried to re-listen to the Dark Empire audio dramas and could not get through them. Yesterday, January 9th at the time, I listened to about two-thirds of the Crimson Empire audio drama, until Disc 2 started skipping really bad, and was loving it. I think the reason I couldn't get into the Dark Empire ones again was because I've listened to a large chunk of Big Finish's Doctor Who, which has the original TV actors as the Doctor and his companions. Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, Sophie Aldred, Nicola Bryant, etc. When trying to listen to Dark Empire, the voices for Han, Luke, and Leia were too far off from what I'm used to from the films, or even recent audiobooks read by Mark Thompson, to be credible. My question is this. Because audio dramas are completely reliant on voice, does not having original voices for film characters hurt the production? For new characters or characters who feature only in book or comics, I don't have a problem with who plays them as long as the people that they get are good at their job. Second, what would you guys think if Big Finish could get a hold of a license to do either brand new, in-canon stories or adaptations of previous works? That's it for now. I think this has gone on long enough. Keep up the good work. Now that's the first email. His second, which I actually think might be meant to be the first, but I've got it marked as number two on the way that these actually showed up in the email, is about the formats. He says again, Hi Mark and Nathan. I just finished the formats duology, and the one thing I found missing was utilizing one's local library. I, for one, am not a big collector. I have some of the novels and am very slowly acquiring more. A side note being that I only collect paperbacks. Many of my Star Wars comics come through my library. This means that I only get my Star Wars comics in trade paperback or omnibus. Sometimes they'll get other collected formats. And in my experience, they don't get individual comic issues. The nice thing about my library is that I can get a book when it comes out, maybe a little while afterwards, depending on how long it takes for the book to arrive and be processed, and then how many holds there are ahead of me, read it, and then decide later if it's one I want to reread or purchase. Then, if it's one I enjoy, I can buy it later when it's released in paperback. Another nice thing about libraries is that you can get everything for free. I listen to Star Wars audiobooks a lot. I can check out an audiobook CD, stick it on my computer, listen to it at my leisure, and then delete it when I'm done. It's wonderful and usually very easy on the wallet. The other thing about my library, and I don't know how many other library systems do this, is that you can request items that aren't in the library system. When you request a title through this Beyond the Catalog feature, the library system either purchases the item, requests the item from another library across the country, or sometimes lets me know that they can't get the item. That's how I've gotten most of my Doctor Who and Big Finish Doctor Who audio dramas that have come through that way, either purchased or through interlibrary loans. The other thing I like to see is more official Star Wars audio dramas, either in SGC or in Legends. SGC Story Group canon being the way he's referring to it. I'd love it if Big Finish would get the license for original Star Wars content. I've been spoiled with their Doctor Who stories that feature the original actors for four, Time Baker, five, Peter Davison, six, Colin Baker, seven, Sylvester McCoy, and eight, Paul McGann. 
Right now, I'm slowly working through Big Finish's Gallifrey spin-off series featuring Ramana 2, Lila Ward, and Leela, Louise Jameson, which is really good. Other Big Finish series include Dalek Empire, Cybermen, Bernice Summerfield, and other spin-off series spun off from Doctor Who characters, both TV, book, and audio-created characters, as well as series like Blake 7, Dark Shadows, Sherlock Holmes, The Avengers, the British TV show, not the Marvel superheroes, and Pathfinder Legends, among others. I think that's it. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this, and sorry if I've rambled on a bit. Keep up the good podcast, Jamie. On a shorter note, Jamie writes in about our New Dawn episode and says, Hey guys, just finished the A New Dawn episode. My comments for now aren't about the novel so much as that they stem from what you were talking about in the middle of the podcast about low sales and the younger generation not reading for pleasure anymore. I want to start by saying I don't rush out and buy a book the day it comes out, ever. That doesn't mean that I won't read a book when it first comes out, but I won't buy a book when it's first released. Instead, I go through my local library. Take Star Wars, because that's what this show is about, for instance. I'll request a book the moment it appears in the system, wait for usually a month to month and a half for it to come in, read it, and then return it. I do buy Star Wars novels periodically, paperbacks only, and have a small collection, but usually all my reading comes through my library, either in print or in audio. I'm a big reader. I'll read new Star Wars as they come out, but I rarely pay for books because I'm not a collector, and it's so much cheaper to get a title from the library and then see if you like it or not. On a side note, it's nice to see you guys getting back into the novels. I look forward to the time when you finally get around to covering the new Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force. I'd also like to see an episode on each of the Tor-class storylines, that is, the Old Republic, at some point in the future. That's all for now. Keep up the good work. Jamie. And lastly, Jamie writes in before we respond to all this at once. Hi, guys. First of all, enjoying the podcast and enjoying the longer episodes, so keep up the good work. I must admit that it seemed that you were forced to leave out discussion possibilities when you were keeping them under an hour. I'm wondering if you guys ever go back and listen to past episodes. Second, I've been rereading Cross Current and Riptide. Excellent books, by the way. I finished Cross Current and started Riptide, along with listening to your episode on the two books. One of the major plot points in Riptide is Soldier, Jaden, and the Iteration. As such, I noticed on page 9 of Riptide that when talking about Jaden's past and his creating his first lightsaber, it says, quote, Jaden realized that he had not thought about Uncle Orn in years. Orn had taken Jaden in when Jaden's adoptive parents had been killed in a shuttle accident. Those words, adoptive parents, leap off the page at me. I'll let you ruminate on the implications of that because what the word adoptive implies is mind-boggling. Also, in a similar vein, Kedrin's last name is Fall, F-A-A-L. Sorry, Mark, but I didn't find any mention of the Fells, Soontir, Jag, etc., anywhere in the book. Yes, Kedrin was a child in the wreck of Outbound Flight when Luke and Mara found it in Survivor's Quest, but he's no relation to Jag or Soontir. Third, also just listened to your 100th episode and heard that Mark had lost a list he had on his phone for a swearing episode, I think he said. That caused me to recall a list of Star Wars slang from Wikipedia that I'm adding the webpage for here. That is, going to Wikipedia and looking up the phrase, list of phrases and slang. Hope it helps with that. Finally, you guys really should do an episode on clones and cloning. Topics that can and should be included are... Sabaoth, Cross-Current slash Riptide with Jaden slash Soldier slash Iteration and the interesting mentions of Jaden's adoptive parents. The Clone Wars in all its myriad forms. The Force Unleashed 2, The Emperor Reborn from Dark Empire, Bok and Morgukai clones from the Siege of Seleucami Ark and Republic, the Fina Daasta clone from the Crimson Empire 2 series, the Isard clone from X-Wing Isard's Revenge, the Thrawn clone, Thrawn's use of cloning in the Thrawn trilogy, X-1 and X-2, which I don't really recall from anything. They're from Battlefront Elite Squadron, for what it's worth. 
The Arcanians and their cloning systems, Arcanian Micro, Offshoots, etc., Demigol and his use of cloning from the Demon Arc of KOTOR, and finally, an apology. The 2012 April Fool's Day story that I find scary to read in relation to the revelations in Riptide. I'm almost certain that you could make a two-part episode on the material. Keep up the great podcast and the exhaustive timeline. It's a great resource. Jameson. Now that's a lot there, Mark. In reading it, I've just said a lot. While I catch my breath, you go ahead. All right. So, well, let's see. Let's just start from the beginning. Uh, you know, the, the score jangle. I, that's very good to know. Um, interesting to know that, that you can have two of them at one time, something I would have never really considered. Uh, I do like the idea uh, after the Revan story, when they split Revan in the light and the dark side personas, I thought that was really cool. Like, I, I know some people didn't like it. I think, Nathan, you didn't care for it that much. But for me, I thought that was great, uh, you know, that, that Revan accepted his fate and went to become one with the Force. But while he did it, all the training, all the knowledge and the part of himself that had been corrupted at one point, it couldn't let go. And it clung to life desperately. And it became the the dark side's version of Revan that we saw leading the Revanites. I, that was an interesting little thing to, to take over. The way the Emperor lived on, you know, in the form that he did because of all of that and stuff. I've always been kind of wondering if, if somehow, some way they might have tried to tie this Sith Emperor to Palpatine, like maybe that the whole line of two eventually became this guy or something, or, or somehow, you know, he takes over. I don't know if they'd ever go an angle like that, or if they actually plan to finally destroy him. But the idea that he might live on forever, just jumping body to body to body and eventually coming back as Emperor Palpatine adds another creep level to it all. I mean, Palpatine himself has always been this ultimate evil. And this emperor, the Sith emperor, I, I believe his name is like Vidatat or something like that. He, he's been one that's equally as menacing as Palpatine ever was. Um, so, so I like the idea of him living on the audio dramas that you were mentioning. I think it would be really cool for them to make more adaptations and stuff of stuff. Uh, or another angle that I think would be cool is, is instead of having like just Mark Thompson reading a story, but like maybe have him and, and, a, and a female reader as well, you know, have two of them reading the different gender roles and going back and forth, you know, playing it up more because in that regard, I mean, audiobooks are almost audio dramas aside from the fact that one guy is doing all the different voice characters and every now and again, you know, they'll, they'll do it really well, but. Again, when you get to different genders and stuff, it gets really hard to to establish, you know, a character from another character in that way. No, I really like the Star Wars audio dramas. They're not all of equal quality, say, to the NPR Star Wars radio dramas, but they are pretty decent. Uh, but even with the radio dramas, you had, you know, Perry King as Han Solo instead of Harrison Ford. And I do agree that sometimes that can be a jarring thing. You have to kind of get used to it. Same thing with those great audio drama versions of the Star Wars Shakespeare stuff that came out recently uh, for the classic trilogy. Those are excellent. But again, you got to kind of get your head around who you're hearing. You know, and that's a thing for me. I'm very visual and auditory in some respects. In other cases, it's like, you know, whatever. It just depends on what the source material is. Like, I love Hamlet. So, and I'm now getting heavier into Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Uh, which I hadn't read since probably high school. And it's interesting because there's all these different interpretations, sometimes audiobooks, sometimes audio dramatized. 
uh, sometimes on film, all these different interpretations of how you're supposed to play those parts. And eventually it becomes the part in my mind. And it's not making a difference to me whether it's, you know, Mel Gibson, David Tennant, Kenneth Branagh being Hamlet. It's still Hamlet. Olivier being Hamlet. It's still Hamlet. But as I'm first getting into something, like with the stuff with Julius Caesar right now, looking at the different versions of that that I'm watching and listening to with the Archangel Shakespeare audio drama version, it does become a little trickier to keep track of things because in one version it's being played by one person, the other version it's someone else, and you got to keep the parts straight in your mind of what they're saying as opposed to listening for a familiar voice. Uh, in a related note, for me, though, a lot of times it's the voice and visual when I'm reading that makes the difference. It's not so much if I listen to, say, the Dark Empire audio drama and it's not who I expected to hear as the characters that it's going to kick me out of it, so much as sometimes there's a clash in my mind when I read a book of what I hear in my head. Because when I read, I literally hear it. Uh, mm -hmm. Or I guess literally is not the right word. Somebody's going to say, that's not literally, you know, listen to word crimes by Weird Al. Um, <laughs> I sort of hear it in my head. Uh, and in doing so, I need to have some type of visual and some type of auditory cue sort of in my mind of what I'm hearing. And what I found is that, for instance, with Clone Wars stuff, after seeing so much of the Clone Wars cartoon series, when I hear the voice of Obi-Wan or Anakin, or see in a lot of ways Obi-Wan or Anakin in my mind's eye as I'm reading, it's the Clone Wars version, right? It's Matt Lanter, it's James Arnold Taylor, not you know, Matt Lucas, for instance, uh, for Anakin from the Gendy Tartakovsky series. It's not Hayden Christensen, it's not Ewan McGregor. I'm hearing the characters as they existed in that particular series as I go along. Sometimes, for me, I need that touchstone, but it can be somewhat confusing. Like I mentioned previously about reading the Dune books. Part of why I couldn't get into the first Dune book was for some reason it was just not working for me. It was clashing with what I had seen in watching the miniseries back in the day, I guess it was, on Sci-Fi Channel. And in reading the book this time, I was also watching the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries of it and watching the 1980s movie. And while that helped me to solidify what I was seeing in my mind, I started to basically see the characters as their sci-fi channel counterparts in a lot of ways and the settings and everything that helped me get it all mentally clear. I did have the issue of sometimes the way they would describe something or the way that Frank Herbert describes something in the book was more accurately portrayed in the Kyle MacLachlan film, like, for instance, the Atreides family uniforms than in the sci-fi channel series. And it actually mm. caused like a, a disjointment in my mind as I'm trying to read this of what I'm picturing in my mind and what it's saying on the page. Um, so I, I can see where that would cause an issue. For me, it happens to not happen with audio dramas. But when I read books, that always happens. It's this clashing visuals to go with it, especially if it's something that's unfamiliar or something that's only vaguely familiar to me like Dune was. If it's something I'm coming into completely fresh but there aren't other interpretations of it. I'm sort of free to form my own things in my mind. But if there's ever been any type of a version of it I've seen, like if I tried to go in and read Daredevil stuff, I would definitely be hearing in my head the guy playing him on the Netflix series rather than Ben Affleck because that's what I spent the most time with. But if I was jumping into it without spending an inordinate amount of time with one or the other, I would see the same clash probably happening in my mind of what do I want to picture? What do I want to hear when I think of Daredevil? It's just... It's the way our brains process, right? It's the schema that we create for what a character should sound like or should look like. When, heck, they're all fictional, it's not like there really is an answer always to what someone should look like or, or sound like. I mean, I can think, for instance, of the jarringness of looking at Harrison Ford now. Chewie, we're home. 
versus the older Han Solo we saw on the covers of the Japanese New Jedi Order books where they were allowed to age the character that they couldn't really do in the U.S. You know, that's kind of a jarring thing, but it's just the nature of, I guess, the way that our minds, uh, our minds work. That's why I always thought Dennis Quaid would make a better older Solo is because of the way they did that with him. You know, <laughs> I think the other aspect to it, too, is the way that people, you know, use their voice when they do the character. Uh, Mark Thompson has a way of capturing different eras of Luke. Um, some he's not quite whiny and petulant, but he's more like, oh, I just don't quite understand. And then there's the later Return of the Jedi one where he's very sure of himself uh, in the way he speaks. And, and his Han Solo is down. Um, and, and then there's a couple of different people that they really nail one or two characters. And then the rest, you're just like, ah. So I, I can see, too, how, how it can it draw you away in different regards. So I would love to see some adaptations where they actually had some voice actors or, or saw if, you know, maybe they can get some of the Clone Wars voice actors or Rebels voice actors to come down and do some projects. I mean, you know, I was thinking about that with with Tarkin. I mean, how how cool would Tarkin have been if Steve Stanton was reading that part or, you know, with a new Dawn where if every time they had a Kanan's part and granted, Mark Thompson's Kanan rocked. But I mean, what if it was actually Freddie Prince Jr.? Uh, you know, and, and had him talking to the other actors and stuff for their roles. I, I just I think that would be a really cool and fun treat, uh, even if they only did like one a year kind of thing. I think that that would be a really fun and cool thing to do. And for audio dramas, it would be an unprecedented thing because they haven't really done it since the NPR stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, you've got a lot of actors who just don't see that as their forte. They don't want to do the audio books. They don't want to do the audio dramas. And they're busy with other things. I mean, unless you're someone like, you know, Anthony Daniels, who apparently will play C-3PO in anything, um, <laughs> as we've discovered. Celebration, they also had those uh, recent ones, the Bounders Gambit and, and uh, Smuggler's Gambit or whatever it was. They've, they've done two of those, and those have been successful. So maybe that'll also help add to the, the allure of doing these types of projects. Now, Jimson also mentions the libraries aspect. That's not something I tend to do, but it's because in the area that I'm in... The local library just doesn't have a whole lot of stuff. And to me, with books, now we're fortunate that we're getting the review copies and whatnot ahead of time. But I tend to want to get something for a collection. So just getting it, reading it, and sending it back doesn't wind up being appealing to me anyway. Uh, I would say that that would probably be something that to me is more appealing when it comes to things like movies I want to see as opposed to renting them or buying them or, or getting them off Netflix or whatever. Uh, or something along the lines of, you know, a book series that I'm not trying to collect, I just want to read, like Dune, uh, which at this point I'm just getting on my nook, or something like, you know, the Joe Ledger series uh, by Mayberry. Whereas when it's a collection, it just it isn't really an option very much. But again, this particular library system, I don't have the faith in it that I did back when I was in Evansville, Indiana. I really tended to go to those libraries frequently and pick up stuff. But here, not so much. Uh, to me... The frustration of working with the library system around here and what they have versus the many, many things I would like to check out that they don't have or can't get access to, it's worth it to me to spend the money to get what I'm looking for, particularly if I can find it on sale or discounted like on Amazon, and save myself the frustration. You know, it's how many hours of frustration is this money worth to you? Oh, the money is worth less to you than avoiding the frustration? Cha-ching! The money is spent, in a sense. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, my library, uh, it, it's struggling even to stay alive. Uh, so that's been a hard thing. Getting audiobooks is nigh impossible unless I want to spend some money. Um, so I could see definitely how if you live in a bigger city, though, that that it would almost be silly of you not to take advantage of it aside from the weight aspect. Uh, because, yeah, the audiobooks, getting those for free, I mean, those are spending. Yeah, I mean, Audible is a great option because – you know, the books that normally cost like 44 bucks and 35 bucks and stuff. I, with my subscription fee, I'm only paying 15 for, uh, but I only get one of those a month. And at least, you know, if you're doing it with library, depending on how fast you're listening to it and stuff, you could do two, three, four, five even or more. Uh, so th there's some definite options there. It just comes down to, I guess you got to research your library, uh, you know, and hope your community has a, a good one or help the community get a better one. <laughs> And I guess lastly, in relation to those emails, uh, yes, we're looking ahead to the possibility of, for instance, an episode on clones, an episode on Star Wars swearing at some point. It's just something that, you know, is sort of on the radar as potential topics. But as we go along here, we're tending to often be pulled into, you know, topics that are also things that we had talked about doing for a long time or being pulled into current topics, uh, current events like Star Wars Celebration and whatnot. So they're, they're on the list of things to talk about in the future, though somewhat on the the back burner it'd be nice to get back to some of those broader more conceptual uh, episodes as opposed to necessarily individual story episodes i would assume that by the time all these feedback episodes come out and we still have quite a bit from two different individuals uh waiting here uh one of which is particularly all audio that we'll see in another episode of feedback coming up uh I think that by the time we get done with these, hopefully Mark will be done reading Lords of the Sith, and we can spend some time talking about Lords of the Sith, and do what was mentioned earlier, which is delve a little bit into the topic of the uh, uh, the lesbian character and what that means for Star Wars with Delian Moores in the book, or what it doesn't mean for Star Wars in some respects. Um, so once we get sort of caught up on current events, or we wind up in a position where you know we're caught up on current stuff that we've looked at, but... We don't have, you know, a finished comic arc from Marvel to talk about yet because they're still going. That's probably when we'll start to see more of those little drop-in, you know, broader subject type episodes. Yeah, I know an another topic I really want to do at some point too is the New Jedi Order. Uh, and, and when we covered Cross Current Riptide, uh, I believe we put those together as one episode. And that's another one, like, I almost kind of wish we would have broke them up. I know there were a lot of... Uh, keeping things under an hour back then and you know the cloning aspect there's so much about it that always has intrigued me uh the history that that has eventually grown out of you know time of stories you know i mean it started out well this was the little tidbit of fact and then we had this little tidbit of fact then we had this little one and then this book had something and then this one had something and then lucas came out and gave us this and so you know how it all lines up in legends now has been something i've always been curious about you know when exactly did palpatine start using clones for himself and you know uh when when did he clone sabath and when he did that why didn't he use any of the samples he took from kenobi and anakin off of outbound flight um things of that nature uh you know and and uh you're, you're the comment about the file thing like I, it's been a long time since i read it but i i thought that one of the characters was of the fell family but had like a speech thing and so he thought his last name was foul i i, I could totally be wrong i mean it's been so long since i've read that and gone back in fact the fell family in general i've been confused about for quite a while since the whole chuck thing uh and i even don't even remember the full controversy but along the lines of how people keep 
timelines like Nathan does. Someone was tracking sons of daughters of Fell, and uh, apparently there was an extra one named at one point that was never named before, and and where he went became this big controversy and. I, I never did quite understand exactly what I missed with that. So apparently I missed something with that book. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when it comes down to the different stuff in that regard, uh, I, I would love to to find out and, and do some more research even about the different things about the clones and what they were, you know, the different processes and stuff. Uh, there are so many clones. You know, you were naming just, you know, uh, I'm sure there's just a handful of them. Uh and I kind of wish that we had an essential guide to the cloning process or something. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that's one of the worst things about Legends uh, doing what it's done is the essential guides have kind of came to a, a halt. We got the new Ultimate Guide coming out and stuff, and I wonder if that's going to be the new direction. You know, we're going to get more Ultimate Guides and less Essential Guides kind of things. But, you know, maybe if we go back to Legends some point, do some more Essential Guides, cloning would be right up there with one of the ones I would love to see because it, it's just factored in so many things. You've got Jedi, you've got Sith, you've got Mandalorians, you've got clones. And I know in the early Bantam days, it felt like they were cloning everything under the sun and everybody hated that theme. But, you know, then Lucas came out and gave us all these clones. It kind of makes sense that there were a lot of clones out there. Uh, so I, I'm curious in that regard as to how Canon's going to deal with clones moving forward. <laughs> you know, are we going to see what we saw with Legends, or are they going to go in a new route? That's funny. I love this the uh, the Force Unleashed games so much that recently, when they did a sale around May fourth, I picked them up for Xbox 360 when I'd already platinumed both of them, platinum trophied them on my PlayStation 3. So now I've been playing through the first one here. I'll wind up playing through the second one sometime soon here on my Star Wars themed uh, Xbox 360 in here, and. The whole cloning thing just reminds me of what I'm going to run into with Force Unleashed 2 with, you know, uh, Rom Coda's whole, no one can clone a Jedi. Dude, your own effing, what, Padawan Fallon Gray was cloned during the Clone Wars, you lying son of a... Anyway. But that also brings <laughs> us into the swearing episode then, doesn't it? Um, one other thing I totally forgot, by the way, when it comes to listening to our old past episodes, I do sometimes just when I need something I can hear in the background while I'm doing something else that I don't really need to pay that much attention to. But I tend to do that more with uh, Republic Forces Radio Network and with Rebels Roundtable or with really old stuff like Chrono Radio or the But Learniverse just because I'm curious about reminding myself of other people's opinions if they play into things later, like what's happening on Rebels Roundtable, for instance. We might reference something that Barrett said, you know, several episodes back, like, everybody loves a skank, for instance. Um, or with Chrono Radio or with the But Learniverse to remind myself a lot of times of what not to do and realize how far that, I guess, in a lot of ways I've come. Because I'm not sure when this episode is going to be released, but it should be coming out right around the time that we hit the anniversary for Attack of the Clones, right? It is... What, the 13th anniversary for Attack of the Clones, right? 2002 to 2015. Uh, and the day that Attack of the Clones came out was the day that I started podcasting. So 13 years ago, I was very different. And my opinions in some cases were very different. I mean, that was a time when I was praising Attack of the Clones as possibly the best Star Wars movie ever! And so on. <laughs> it's interesting to look back and see how things have changed. More so, I think, in a lot of cases than looking back at recent episodes, for instance. 
Well, one of the aspects about our fandom that's been so fun is the momentary reactions. You know, I mean, I, I, I look, listen back to some of the old EU cast episodes and stuff as things were coming out. What are they thinking? Why are they doing this? <laughs> like, you know, I, I, and I think about like the Clone Wars. Like I, I was letting that slip and slide right past me for quite a while. It was into the third season before I was like, wait, they're doing what with Ryloth? Wait, wait what with Mandalorians? Wait, say what? <laughs> you know, and, and it's just kind of fun. Like now in the position we're in, it, we can look back on that stuff and you can recognize that, you know, as this stuff's happening now to kind of temper your reactions, because, you know, there's going to be another shoe to drop that, you know, they haven't revealed how it's going to play in together. And, and oh, Ahsoka's back on Rebels. OK, well, let's see where this goes before we just, you know, bash it or or just say it's an automatic brilliance, although it was a brilliant move. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore Star Wars Expanded Universe, that's Legends now, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. Well, I picked up the first Twilight book and it sucked. So I picked up the second one and it sucked. So I picked up the third one and oh god. Yeah, sometimes there's just no help in the suck. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and... May the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll be able to fit the last two big chunks of feedback into just two episodes. I think the odds are right. Our first one was about an hour. This one's about two hours. The next one will be about four hours (laughs) or maybe even six. Bring a Snickers. (laughs) Or you could bring a, you know, a Milky Way if you don't feel like having some nuts. Much like the cat that meowed earlier. No nuts. Oh, I'm sorry. Too soon? Tell you what, I'll tell you it here and you can put it in the outtake. <laughs> so the joke is... How many purpers does it take to screw in a light bulb? One.
but it takes the entire emergency room staff to get it back out again. <laughs> I wonder if it lights up if you get an idea. Or gas. <laughs> or hit the edge. I'd be concerned about that. Let me say that again. Let me add a word here. He's, it's another. We, I want to play the word crimes video from Weird Al sometime at the end of one of these. You know, I hate these word crimes. <laughs> okay, let me say it again. Or finish. Well, years went by, and I work in a psychic hospital. I'm assuming that's a psychiatric hospital, not a hospital for people who can see the future. So let me say psychiatric. I think it's just a a, a construct that the, the our, our I think it's just a consequence of sort of the internet-based culture that we. Fuck. I mean, it's, hey, at least it went a while. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, usually it's when you're talking. It's me. <laughs> but uh, just do it between sentences this time. The night then takes turns. Scrolling down. Whoops, scroll too damn far. So we might make a note here somewhere uh, about um, big finish uh, and about audio dramas being something to come back and talk about. Uh, so audio that's just comments. the first one. You that's the got... first one. He's got four. Total. So why don't you run to the restroom? I'll, I'll deal with these. We'll just go one at a time after all. Except that then we're gonna have to change the way I introduced it. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, let's... Yeah, I got I got I can just hit it. I can, I can okay. run through them. I can run through them. Alright, I just don't want your eyes to blow. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and all the big Finnish audio dramas have... What was that? What? Yeah, I just dropped the other me. And uh -oh. hang on, now the other me isn't muted anymore for some reason. Aha! Uh -huh. I hear me! Hey, talking. Okay. Oh. He tried to drop off the call there. Uh, let me say it again. Okay. Sing! Thanks for listening in. The cat. I tried to leave the mute off so I could just <laughs> make the little comment, and as I, as you're saying that, the cat's just going, rah, 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 jumping down from the cat. <laughs> it's time to go!